Well, you can stop refreshing your internet browser because the Better Questions podcast is back. That's right. Even if it's just a a one-off here in between seasons, but uh, Dan and Andrew are here right now ready to share with you the first chapter of Andrew's book, The Boy Who Cried Lone Wolf. Yeah, so if you've been listening to the podcast for a while and you've listened to me, Andrew, rant on and on and just never stop talking and you thought, wow, you know, I'd love to hear more what that guy has to say and maybe about being single and dating specifically. And if that's you, which is probably all of you, well, you can. Well, and I just want to jump in here, Andrew, and uh, and correct you about your own book. <laughs> Because I, uh, I actually think your book is, is about a lot more than that. Through the book, you over and over again talk about storytelling in general and how it's the conflict in stories that actually makes a story compelling and worth talking about. Yeah, in a way, I kind of use the same approach to our podcast, which is looking back on my life and you know my relationships and my dating and being single and kind of asking a better question. And whereas it used to be like, you know, why am I single? Or, you know, what am I doing wrong? Or like, like, how do I ignore or move past the parts of my own life that I find dissatisfying? Whereas the better question is like, like, how do those parts of my story make my story actually more interesting? And looking at my life through the better questions framework and finding a better way of approaching my singleness than just lamenting it, but actually finding redeemable parts to it and looking at it in new ways and seeing how it's grown me and pushed me and changed me instead of just focusing on the negative. And uh, hopefully the uh, rest of the Better Questions podcast season will be coming at you shortly. That's right. Season three should be coming sometime late 2019 or maybe early 2020. Uh, and you'll want to look for that when, when we're able to get it out. But until then, enjoy the first couple chapters of my book. And if you like what you hear, you can buy the book on Amazon. It's The Boy Who Cried Lone Wolf. And hopefully the audiobook, the full and complete audiobook, will be available later this fall. That's right. You can click the link in the show notes to go directly to the page on Amazon to check out Andrew's book and the audiobook that's coming soon. And if you do happen to buy my book and read it, Please feel free to rate and review my book, whether that be a five-star review or a three-star review or, you know, hopefully not a one-star review. But, you know, hey, you know, it'd be nice to just get some feedback from you. I gave it five stars, Andrew. Yeah. Thanks. Unbiased. Best $20 I ever spent. (laughs) Here is the first chapter of Andrew's audiobook for The Boy Who Cried Lone Wolf. You're listening to The Boy Who Cried Lone Wolf, A Few Thoughts on Many Years of Singleness, written and unfortunately experienced by, and unfortunately narrated by, Andrew Drake. Copyright 2019 by Andrew Drake. Cover art designed by Dan Drake. The font, which you can't see or hear, is set in Avenir Next Condensed. Just thought you should know that in case you wanted to buy the physical copy. This book is dedicated to high school Andrew. You didn't get a girlfriend, but you got this book. And uh, if high school Andrew were here, I'm sure he'd be very pleased to know that by 26, he'd be bald and still girlfriendless. So uh, 
Here's to you, kid. Doesn't get much better. Welcome to my audiobook. I'm so glad you decided to spend your day running errands out in the car or on your way to work, listening to me go on and on about how unhappy I am being single. And uh, judging by uh, this purchase, you're probably at rock bottom as well, so uh, I'm glad we're here together. So, I just wanted to explain what to expect from this audiobook. And uh, like most things in my life, I wanted to do this audiobook a little bit differently. And instead of sitting here stiff-backed, trying to go on and on with this rigid, formal voice, I thought I'd make this a little bit more conversational and uh, throw in some extra perks for all you audio listeners and not just exclusively stick to the words I wrote. Because why would you want that? So, in the next 20 hours, as I read very slowly, (laughs) you can come along with me on this journey of singleness and how I've learned to accept the parts of my own story that I'm not too proud of, but how, in the end, I've learned that's what makes my story worth telling. So, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoy. Next up is the interview with the author, which is me. Hi, so uh, thanks for taking the time to sit down with me and talk about the book. You're welcome. Pleasure's all mine. What do you want to know? Awesome. Uh, Well, what got you started writing this book? I mean, how did this all begin? Man, let's see. Um, Started over a year ago, shortly after my 24th birthday. I woke up one morning and I saw someone I didn't recognize in the mirror. He had a receding hairline, no girlfriend and was working an unpaid internship. Let's just say <laughs> that's not where I envisioned myself at 24. I had all these like unfulfilled dreams, like having a girlfriend and writing a book. So I took all that anxiety and disappointment from those two regrets and I turned it into something. Cool, so uh, why a book? I mean, not many people even read books at your age, let alone write them. Yeah, you're right, it, it is a bit strange. It's definitely not something everyone does, but, uh, but I guess I'm not everyone. Hmm. So, tell me about your writing process. Did you have an outline? Did you have, like, a, a set number of pages you wanted to get to? Uh, I'm sorry, do you need hey, to... What's up? No, do you I need can't. To, I can't talk right now. Uh, do you need to step away to take that? Uh, no, sorry. Um, I'm just, uh, I'm just putting on mute. I'm just putting on mute. Okay, right. So, uh, anyway, I was asking, like, how you went about writing the book. No, uh, did you have a set... I can, no, I'm... I'm Dude, you're talking on the phone. Can we... We can stop no, if it's we fine. need to. No, it's fine, really. It'll just be a second. Okay. I'm fielding calls for an agent. Lots of people bidding to buy the rights of my next book. You know how showbiz is. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, anyway. Look, if you're busy, we can schedule this for another $500 time. $500 per word or I walk. I'm not selling for any less. Look, if you don't think I'm serious, then how about you give my good friend Mr. Stephen King a call? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, Stephen King. Yeah, hold, wait, hold on. I'll call you back. But yeah. I'm sorry, uh, what was your question? So, that reminds me. Do you think writing a book has changed you in any way? Oh, not at all. I'm still the same old me. Nothing's changed. Ooh, that is the spot right there. And have you always done interviews while getting a massage? Well, I have always been a bit of a multitasker. Right. And you know, I've just got to say that I'd be a lot more comfortable doing this if you were wearing a towel. This is how the French do it. I don't think that's true. I'm the one with the book. I think I'd know. Okay, well, that just about does it for me. I, uh, I have no more questions. Great. 
Hey, uh, where's this interview going to be published, by the way? In the front of your book, actually. Right, right. You're going to edit out, like, the whole phone call and massage part? Uh, sure. Good. You know, I don't want the reader to get the wrong impression of me, like, right at the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I wouldn't worry. Oh, I didn't mean to touch you. It's okay. It is a massage. That's kind of how it works. I'm just going to go. Okay. First, this is not an introduction. I repeat, this is not an introduction. The dreaded yellow line, the one that crawls across your screen for five agonizing seconds while you wait for your YouTube video to start. I know the pain all too well. But this isn't an advertisement. You can stop tapping the bottom right corner of the page. There's no skip button. If you're anything like me, then you want to start reading. You don't need any preamble or a condescending writer to tell you what the thesis of the book is. Unless you're writing a book report, in which case the introduction is your best friend. Like trailers that reveal too much of a film's plot, introductions can often water down the experience of a book. But this isn't an introduction. Here you won't find any arguments or main points outlined. I won't go on and on about where, when, or why this book was written. If you must know, this book was primarily written in bed with chip crumbs scattered all over my shirt. I won't summarize every chapter and break them up into short, easily digestible paragraphs. You won't read any long, anecdotal stories that serve no purpose other than to beef up the word count. Again, this isn't an introduction. I do, however, want to frame this book for you. I want you to know what kind of book you have in your hands, or what kind of book you're listening to in the car while someone's driving 15 miles below the speed limit. And what you can expect from it. This is a book about dating and being single, yes, but you won't learn the 10 steps of finding that special someone or what the secret to being single and happy is. Whether you're recently single and looking for some inspiration or you're an overly protective parent, I want you to know right away that this isn't that book. There are plenty of other books with those answers. If I had any of those insights, then I probably wouldn't be writing a book about being single for 24 years and would instead be on a romantic getaway with a supermodel feeding her grapes on the beach or, or something like that. Rather, think of this book as an invitation into my mind. Imagine, if you would, that my mind had a door, one of those large mahogany doors with a brass door knocker. You approach it and knock. Faintly, you hear me shout, Come in! As the heavy door slowly opens into my mind, creaking and groaning like an ominous door in a classic horror movie owned by a reclusive vampire, you see me tidying up. Some of you probably don't know what I look like, so for point of reference, picture a mid-twenties white guy with a shaved head, beard, and glasses. If you want to throw in a chiseled jaw and six-pack, be my guest. The room is bigger than you thought. Don't be fooled into thinking all this space is for my vast wisdom or intellect. It's mostly filled with decades-old baseball stats and highly insecure thoughts. A fireplace and some strategically placed lamps cast soft, warm mood lighting into what would most accurately be described as a study. You see bookshelves extending from the floor to the ceiling with one of those rolling library ladders. Most of the books, however, aren't classics of literature or academic works of philosophy, but rather Stephen King and pulpy crime novels. With pipe in hand and adorned in a plush reading robe, I invite you over to have a seat. I have successfully tucked away everything in my mind I don't want you to see, like my oddly passionate thoughts on story structure and my teenage daydreams of dating Emma Watson. All that's left 
is a line of exquisitely framed paintings above the fireplace. There's a portrait of me falling in a dark chasm. There's another of me holding a string attached to a kite lying on the ground. You see a ghost, the St. Louis Arch, and an oil painting of a cup of coffee. Each portrait represents a story, idea, theme, or metaphor about my experience being single. And as you turn the pages of this book, or as you continue to listen, I will share with you what each image means and what it has taught me. Before we begin, I will note that this book does not tell one unified story. Each chapter is its own thing. But there is a thematic arc to the book as a whole. So please don't put the book down. Don't make me beg. Inside, you will find a human story. The story of a man coming to grips with his insecurities, doubts, and failures. Whether you're single or in a stable relationship, I hope my stories, thoughts, insights, and slightly pretentious metaphors are successful in showing you that the parts of your story you're most embarrassed and frustrated by actually make your story worth telling. Okay, the yellow line has nearly reached the other end of the video player. I should wrap this up before I step on the toes of what I've already written in the pages to come. While I have you here in my mind, take a seat, make yourself comfortable, don't veer wildly into traffic for those of you riding in the car. I promise I won't take up too much of your time. Falling. Dude, this is a totally deep hole. That's a reference to Bill and Ted's excellent adventure for all of you who are in a coma for the 80s. Just wanted to let you guys know. It's a natural thing, falling for you, like a spring rain on a country town where men are drawn to front porches, as if it's a natural thing, like falling for you. I wrote that piece of crap on December 14th, 2014. Trevor was in my room talking about some new girl he had fallen for. You all know that friend who falls in love with every cute person they bump into, the one whose dating life resembles a kid in a frozen yogurt store putting each flavor in their tub. First it's one girl, then this girl, then that girl, and so on. Trevor had found THE girl this time. She was pretty and smart and cute and beautiful and funny and gorgeous. You're probably familiar with the type. He didn't know her name, but that didn't matter. He went on to describe this girl in detail. Everything from her smile to the way she said certain words made her so easy to fall for. Trevor, as he put it, didn't have to try to like her. It was as if he was falling, being pulled down by the gravity of her beauty. My friend declared to me in the whole universe, which was really just my parents sitting downstairs, how he was going to woo this girl. She was his Helen of Troy, and he would fight any suitor for, well, whatever her name was. He made these lofty declarations while laying on my bed staring at the ceiling. I don't know what exactly he saw reflected in the pale plastering of my ceiling, but I imagine we've all seen something similar. Those moments where you press play on a slideshow of memories that have not happened yet, watching the future highlights of a love story not yet written. I was watching Conan and eating double stuffed Oreos, but at that moment, as Trevor went on and on about this girl whose name he didn't know, I believed in love. So I did what any lonely college sophomore would do. I wrote a poem about my friend's crush. This wasn't even that strange for me. I've written many poems and short stories based on my different friends' love lives. And no, it's not because I'm a wannabe Nicholas Sparks looking for inspiration. It's because, despite my inner poet, I've never been in a romantic relationship. Yes, the man speaking these words that you're for some reason listening to has never, in his 24 years of living, been someone's boyfriend. I have never officially dated a girl. 
Usually, upon hearing this, this person I'm talking to has some questions. I've provided a list of common questions followed by my responses. So, uh, do you like guys? No, but I do have an unhealthy obsession with John Mayer. Are you one of those weird dudes who wants to marry his car or computer or something? No, but at this point that might be easier. So you like girls? Yeah, very much. Have you been on dates? Yep, more on those later. But you've, like, kissed girls and stuff, right? Nope, I'm like Drew Barrymore in that regard. Drew Barrymore? How does that make any sense? Never been kissed. What? What's Never that? been... Watch a movie sometime. Sorry! Have you ever even held a girl's hand? Oh, yeah. Well, in, like, prayer circles. And my hands clam up pretty intensely. Nice. Are you one of those super religious people who has been sheltered from dating until your parents trade, like, some goats and cows and arrange your marriage? Okay, no one has asked this question with this exact wording. Well, I grew up in church, but I don't really see how that has to do with anything. Okay, so why? Why haven't you ever been in a relationship? Great question. That brings us to the purpose of this book. Instead of spending money on a therapist, I thought I should write out all my thoughts, feelings, and frustrations on being single for all these years. So, if you would, please pretend to sit in front of me nodding your head at all my lamentations while I pretend to lay on a couch wondering what you're writing on your notepad. Oh, and instead of paying you a hefty hourly fee, how about you pay to read these words? Great, thanks. There isn't one reason why I've been single for so long. I wish there were. I want to scapegoat this whole predicament. If only I could pull the curtain back and discover a grand conspiracy against me. That life was out to troll me. But that would be all too convenient. There's no accountability in scapegoats or conspiracies. That's not to say it's all been by choice. I never sprawled out in the backyard grass and marveled at the starry sky dreaming of being 24 and single. I never stayed up late watching TBS movie reruns. I never stayed up late watching TBS movie reruns imagining myself as the nerdy guy who didn't get the girl. I've tried. I've tried and struck out. I've tried and given up. Sure, I've passed up opportunities, but I have tried. Have I been guilty of being too picky? Have I overanalyzed? Yes and yes. I do want and have wanted a relationship. Now, this might be the time you start feeling some sort of pity for me. You might feel inclined to give me a hug. Please don't, unless you're a cute girl. I'm not writing this for pity. I'm not trying to be the boy who cries lone wolf. The guy who shouts, look at how lonely I am, so some girl can swoop in and save him like a homeless puppy. Cue the Sarah McLachlan music. There are thousands of undateable men in America. And with your donation, <laughs> there are far more significant problems facing people today than being single for a long time. No, I'm writing this to share my perspective. I'm here to tell you what 24 years of singleness looks like. Perhaps this will help you with your recent rough stretch. Maybe you'll get a few laughs. Who knows? This could serve as good coaster material. Or for those of you listening to the audiobook, maybe it'll help you get to work without, you know, pulling your hair out or crashing into the car next to you. I, I, don't, I don't know what your problems are. Most importantly, I'm writing this to help myself come to terms with where I am in life. So where am I? What is it like to be single for this long? Honestly, it, it feels like falling. As if I've been falling and falling but never landing. Bill and Ted style. I'm a man floating through space, passing hundreds of planets, but never entering an atmosphere. There have been girls whose orbits I've passed by, whose gravity I could feel, but I've only been a brief shooting star in their life. 
I've never felt that Neil Armstrong moment, that feeling of landing on the lunar surface. I've only ever sat and watched from Houston as others walked the moon. Strike that, it's worse. Walking on the moon is an incomplete metaphor because only 12 people have ever stepped on it. Dating, on the other hand, is exponentially more common. A better metaphor would be to say that I've only ever watched as others participate in a universal human experience, like riding a bike or going to the dentist. If you've been in plenty of relationships and you can't relate to my situation, imagine you've never gone swimming. You've never relaxed in a pool or felt the ocean tide wash your feet. Imagine that you've only ever watched others swim or wade in the ocean. Sure, you've seen plenty of movies and Facebook pictures of people swimming, but it's still a foreign experience. Your friends invite you swimming, but you sit on the deck and talk to them from afar. You're at the pool party, but you feel like a third wheel or an intrusive boot on a car tire. When people discover that you've never been swimming, they don't shame you or freak out. They find it odd. They might even try and comfort you by saying, Swimming is nice, but it isn't the greatest thing in the world, or they might pat you on the back and say, don't worry, you'll find the perfect beach someday, just you wait. Despite these encouraging words, however sincere, they can't dissolve your desire to go swimming. To feel what it's like to dive into a pool or ride an ocean wave. The rational part of your brain knows that there's more to life than swimming, but deep down you want nothing more than to experience something everyone else has experienced. And that, my friends, is what it's like being single for 24 years. Circle, circle, dot, dot. This is how I fell for a girl after a cootie shot. She grabbed my arm under the thin blue bars of the jungle gym. Her hand on my arm was warmer than the heat emanating from the black tire mulch beneath our feet. I pretended the cootie shot was annoying, but secretly, I wish she'd never let go. Apparently, girls have a particular germ or virus that is detrimental to the Y chromosome. Symptoms include feelings, an interest in Barbie dolls, and a proclivity for the color pink. Two circles and two dots on the arm is the only known cure. When this girl drew circles on my arm and ignited a desire to be close to girls, not run away from them, we became inseparable. Whether it was recess, lunch, or practicing our reading and writing, we wanted to be next to each other. I liked her as much as a young boy can comprehend romantic affection. She was like my guy friends, except they never made my cheeks feel hot when I was around them. The best part of our relationship at that age was there were no labels or expectations to worry about. It was innocent. I don't remember thinking what I should say or how I should act. It was natural. We had been constructing our own understanding of how a relationship looks. That is, until the world and all its labels huffed, puffed, and blew everything down. I can still remember running around the house in circles trying to flee my older brother as he repeatedly shouted, Andrew has a girlfriend! Andrew has a girlfriend! Hearing that sentence over and over and over again was comparable to wandering into the deep end of a pool. A wave of anxiety and worry hit me for the first time in my life. The word girlfriend filled me with embarrassment and questions. This was the origin story of an overly analytical and anxious boy. Hiding from the world was my solution. I felt eyes on me any time I was around this girl at the preschool, so I distanced myself from her. Hearing other kids refer to her as my girlfriend put too much pressure on the shy kid that I was. You may find this all silly and dramatic, but I was a kid. I remember this moment of my life strongly because kids experience everything strongly. There's little context or perspective for what they feel. 
She moved away later that year as the closest thing I had to a girlfriend in my youth. While my friends had girlfriends in grade school that lasted for a day or two, mind you, I found myself in a groundhog's day of falling for a girl, getting extremely anxious and nervous, and then distancing myself. A cycle that could never end because the longer it went on, the more it made me think I was undesirable, unattractive, unwanted, and uncool, which just increased my anxiety and worry and led me to become more shy and distant around girls. A self-fulfilling prophecy of the highest order. I marvel at how much moments and habits from our youth affect us later in life. Seeds get buried deep, and they can either sprout flowery thoughts or spread doubts like weeds. You need to know that this all started with a shy boy, one too afraid to take a giant step in his young life for fear of falling. The irony is that staying put is a fall stronger than any leap or bound. Singleness is falling. It's floating through space endlessly, witnessing the grand cosmos before you and never actually experiencing it. Often people have tried to comfort me by saying they wish they had been single rather than experience past breakups or destructive relationships. I appreciate the sentiment and I value people who try and make me feel better. I also think it's a load of crap. I would argue falling is a unique form of torture, even more so than a crash landing. Hitting the ground is normal. It comes with the human experience. An unending free fall is not normal. It's not as abrupt or disruptive as hitting the ground, but it is an emotional sort of water torture. When people say this to me, they want to express that they envy the fact that I have no baggage, no battle scars. The sentiment is nice, but it's like a battle-worn soldier telling a guy stuck in boot camp for 20 plus years that he's jealous of his inexperience. Sure, the veteran may wish to erase some of his more devastating experiences, but it'd be foolish of him to want to wipe away all of the challenges that have shaped him and grown him as a soldier. A surfer who crashes into the water doesn't regret picking up a surfboard. He regrets that particular wave. So no, I don't believe I'm better off because I've never dated. All you Juliets with a dangerous Romeo in your past, and vice versa, shouldn't wish to trade places with me. In both stories and life, one's failures and challenges, the things that knock us down, are the very things that push us and grow us. In a story, which is what life is, the protagonist must leave home, the place of comfort, and pursue the princess and fight the dragon. The protagonist must first lose so they can win. It's not a compelling story if the main character stays put and does nothing. And it's not a compelling romantic life if your heart's never been touched, let alone broken. If you're going to wish anything for me, please don't pray that I remain unscathed as a romantic bubble boy. Instead, wish that I fall face first into the ground. Pray that I get my teeth knocked out. Hope that I go through the fire and come out burnt. You haven't experienced the ocean until you've been swallowed and spit out by a wave. And you haven't experienced love if you haven't picked up the pieces of your heart. All the best stories have their valleys. Why shouldn't mine? Well, there it was. We hope you enjoyed the first couple chapters of Andrew's book, The Boy Who Cried Lone Wolf. And uh, thank you so much for listening to the Better Questions podcast. And we'll see you in season three.